Uh, we're continuing our series. We're continuing our series where the messages come from uh, thoughts that I had while I was working on something else, um, you know, or, or reading something, uh, you know, reading a book, an article, whatever else, uh, you know, it happens to be. If you ch- look in your outline, you'll see we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. Uh, but as we get into Acts chapter 9, uh, we really need to think about what comes before it a little bit. Acts is historical in the sense that it, it, it is recording actual events that happened. Um, and what happens in Acts chapter 7, um, it culminates with Stephen being stoned to death. Uh, he is referred to as often as the first Christian martyr. Uh, he was stoned to death. Now, stoning, stoning is a, a violently uh, torturous way to die. They did it with the intention of, of uh, killing you. Their twofold goal was your pain and your death. Uh, they would use, you know, they weren't using gravel. They were using good-sized rocks. And their goal was to, uh, first of all, incapacitate you so you couldn't run away. Uh, they would... Uh, ordinarily surround you and be throwing at you from all different angles and with the intent to harm you and to continue to harm you until you died. As you read through some accounts of it in the Old Testament and some others in in other um, histories, they would sometimes heap a pile of stones upon this person by the time it was all done. Uh, so with the stoning of Stephen is, is really no little thing. And we're told that as they stoned him, it says, the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Uh, now, he wasn't just a, a cloak-check fellow. He was uh, very much a part of it, very much uh, giving. In fact, it, it goes on at the beginning of chapter 8. It says that Saul agreed with putting him to death. So he is very much a part of that. He took particular interest in finding and killing those who followed Jesus. It's kind of like a morbid calling in life or a calling to a morbid life. I'm not sure which way you would look at that. But he saw it as a a particular mission of his. And in the beginning of Acts chapter 8, it says, On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. That's kind of interesting because if you recall, it's the apostles who were among the group who were hiding right after Jesus' death. And then here after his resurrection, the persecution comes. Well, now we're not told if they were hiding or not, but it goes on. It says, Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. I was looking at other translations, and other translations use the same word. And again, think of what that means. It's ravaging, not ravishing, that's totally different. Ravaging the church. And he would enter, it says, house after house and drag off men and women and put them in prison. And I was thinking how much that sounds like what's going on in Afghanistan and some of these other countries right now. Are those who claim the name of Christ. Now it's no wonder here it says that you know it, it, that those with relationship with Christ scattered. 
Now, if this is all that we knew about Saul, if this was the only, if this was the only thing in Scripture about Saul, you know, we would wonder, and some would still wonder and say, you know, why did God allow this to happen? These are questions that are still asked today. Why does God allow this to happen? You know, why is this what's going on? You know, doesn't God care? Doesn't God love his people? You know, in, in fact, some would even say, why doesn't God just kill Saul and, uh, you know, and allow his people to flourish? As most of you know, this is not the end of the story for Saul. Saul, uh, then his name is changed to Paul. Uh, you know, so this is not his end. But what we need to remember as we look at this, we need to remember that we see people at a point in time. And God sees the entire picture. We simply see people, the people that we run across and the people that we interact with, and even the people of yourself, even for you. What you see and what you are in the midst of right now is a point in time. It is a picture taken at a particular moment in history. It is not the entire picture. It is not the entire existence that is there. That's encouraging to me when I'm facing some things that I'd rather not be in the midst of to realize this is just a snapshot in time and what I need to do is get through this snapshot in time. Uh, you know, but you know yourself, um, you know, many snapshots make a movie. I mean, that's what a movie is, many snapshots. If you just take one of those, you can completely misunderstand what was going on. Now, what I should have done was had some, just some snapshots there that, you know, where you wouldn't know what's going on. But I didn't think of that till just now. So anyway, we don't have those. Um, you know, so what we need to remember, though, you know, it just, it, it's a snapshot in time of our lives, of everyone's lives who we interact with. So when God, you know, when God doesn't do what you think he should do or when you think evil seems to be winning, just still remember it's a snapshot in time and God is still in control. He is still the one who is in control. Even those things seem out of control to us, even though to us it seems like this is nuts. You know, I mentioned I used that phrase this morning with some people, you know, just some of the stuff that's going on now. This is nuts. But this is a snapshot in time. This is a picture. It, it is not the entire, I didn't say movie. You know, our life isn't a movie, but it's not the entire existence. It's just a snapshot in time of what's happening, you know, and what's going on. Now let's pray and we're going to continue on into chapter 9. Father, thank you for the way in which you have touched our lives. And I think of some of the snapshots in time of my life and, and your grace is, is so evident. And I think sometimes when, um, well, before I was able to grasp a hold of that reality, and I would just wonder, what in the world is happening here? You know, I, I didn't grow up thinking that. I grew, I grew up thinking you were just waiting to whack me one. I'm grateful that's not the kind of God you are. That's not the, the God that, I don't even know how I came up with that idea or that thought, but many have that idea and thought. And I wonder where you are. Help us to see, help us, those of us who know you, to realize you are in control. Even though it seems nuts to us. We are only seeing a part of what's happening. We are only seeing a part of things. So enlarge our vision of you, I ask this morning, as we look into your word, as we look into your truth. Let it not only resonate within us, but to flow through us for your glory. 
we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. So get to Acts chapter 9. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 1012. And um, if you're using your own Bible, I have no idea what page it's on. Ginny and I went to a speed reading course one time. And it was a speed reading course on the Bible. And the guy up, the guy who's leading the course said, turn the page, you know, 1,012. And kind of looks. And then he goes, he reads something, he goes on to another one. He says, turn to page 982. And he looks at him. His wife finally says, they don't all have the same Bible. Oh, he says, I thought they were all, I thought they all had the same page numbers, you know. Well, anyway, got nothing to do with it. Just one of those random thoughts that runs through my head and sometimes comes out of my mouth. Acts chapter 9 is where we're at. So get to it however you do. Um, the rest of chapter 8, uh, the rest of chapter 8 really, it, what we read the first few verses of chapter 8. It doesn't tell us any more about Saul, but it does tell us about the ministry of Philip and Peter and John as they continued to tell people about Jesus. Even though they were scattered, even though they were scattered, they continued to tell people about Jesus. Uh, you know, something we need to remember, it's not in your outline, but feel free to write it down on the back of your hand with an ink pen. Uh, you know, it's not just in church that we tell people about Jesus. You know, it's not just in church. It should be everywhere. It should be a part of who we are. At any rate, here we see Saul again as we get into chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. Follow along. It says, Meanwhile, meanwhile, after the ministry of you know, what I was telling you, Philip and Peter and John, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up. And go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Then Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him to Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. Now we're going to pause there for a minute, but we are going to pick up again, so don't lose it in whatever you're using it on. Uh, Saul, he was a very determined man. I mean, Saul was very determined. He clearly threatened those who were following Jesus. Uh, Threats dominated all he said. Notice how it phrases it, that he was breathing threats, that those came out of him just, just, you know, with the same ease that breath did. It's almost like that everything he had to say, you know, was, there was, there were threats involved with, uh, about God's people, you know. And and we would say that, you know, he, he was consumed really with harming those who followed Christ. That he was breathing threats and murder. He was breathing threats and murder. And that whole picture there of, of what is consuming this guy and what is, what, is, what is coming out of him there. And now God allowed this. God allowed this in order to get Saul where he needed to be for God to do a work in his life. Now there's more on that coming up in a minute here. But you know, Saul wanted to make sure that he had the blessing of the high priest. So you know, the guy in charge with the religious practices of the Jewish people. That's who the high priest is. So he goes to the high priest because he wants the approval of the guy that's in charge of, you know, of what he does as a, as, a, as a Jewish man. 
Now, we're not specifically told that he got the go-ahead from the high priest, but it seems he did because he was traveling to, to Damascus. And we assume that you know, he had the letters from the high priest when his boat got rocked there. Uh, you know, it was you know, the light from heaven, strong enough that he fell to the ground. And then he hears a voice speaking to him by name. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus takes the persecution of his people personally. He does. He takes the, pers- the, the persecution of the church as a personal attack. It, it's, not something, it's not something mild in his mind. It's not something just to be overlooked. It's not something to be toyed with. You know, he takes it very personal. And Saul's response here, he indicates that you know, he, he seems to think that he's responding to some type of authority. He says, who are you, Lord? That word, Lord, it was used of, you know, of speaking to one in authority. Now, often it was referred to as speaking to God, but it was also, you know, speaking to someone else in authority, you know, a, a master. You know, who are you, Lord? Now, the answer had to be shocking to Paul, to say the least. I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, wouldn't that just curdle your cheese if you were, if you were uh, Paul? I mean, wouldn't that? I mean, think about that. You know, he's saying, you know, can you imagine the slam to the psyche that that must have been? Who I, I'm Jesus, the one, you are, the one you are persecuting. Then he gives Paul an assignment, verse 6. He says, but get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Now Saul thought he knew what he should do. You see, he already thought he knew what he should do. He was, going to go, he was going to that city to persecute, to find and persecute those who were following Christ. He already thought that he knew what he was supposed to do, hunt down those follower, followers of Jesus. But now Jesus was talking to him. You see, the, 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 the battle, the struggle you know, that, that I saw here, you know, Saul's defending a religion. That's what he's doing. Saul is defending a religion. Jesus is addressing a relationship. Saul was going there to defend the Jewish religion. And that's what he was doing and that's what he was focused on. That's what he was about. Jesus is already beginning to turn him and focus him on a relationship because those are totally different viewpoints. It is a totally different viewpoint that if if you are living out a religion or if you are living out a relationship. Totally different viewpoints. Totally different things flow from that. Saul was serving a religion, not a relationship. There wasn't a relationship there that he was about. It was about this religion. Don't Don't get those confused in your own life. Don't get, you know, don't get those confused. Now, those traveling with Saul, you'll notice, it says they heard the sound. They knew something was happening, uh, something important enough to bring them to stunned silence. You know, they, they were standing silent. It says, Saul got up, but he couldn't see. Now, you'll see as we get into some more of the verses here, it, this was a direct miracle of God. We're used to seeing Jesus bring, we're, we're used to seeing Jesus bring sight to a blind man. But here he brought blindness to a seeing man. It was still a miracle of God. Not the way we, not the way we think of when we think of miracles. You know, but instead of bringing sight to a blind man, he, was bringing, he, he brought literally blindness to, to a seeing man here. And, and you know, Saul got up, couldn't see. You know, and I got a new headlight for my bike 
I ride my bike in the morning, and for some odd reason, it just keeps getting darker. You know, and until the powers that be allow us to change time sometime in November, stupid idea. But anyway, uh, we won't get into that. Uh, anyway, um, uh, you know, I need a, I need a, a, a headlight. So I went to get one because I ride on, some of the roads I ride on are dark and don't have don't have street lights on them. So I went and bought this light. And uh, when the guy was turning them on to show me, he kept his hand in front of it all the time. And I thought, well, okay, I can see it works. When I got at home, I turned it on and, whoa, dude, you know, I mean, it was, it was I, I, you know, now I see why he had his hand over and turned it off and all I could see was spots, you know. Uh, now, but you'll see, what you'll see coming up is it wasn't just the, the blinding light we refer to it as. It wasn't just the bright light. But again, it was a miracle of God, you know, that, that caused him so he couldn't see. You know, now his companions could see. You know, and, and, you know, they led Paul to Damascus. It says for three days, it seemed what Paul was, to me, it seemed what Paul was doing was mulling over what happened to him on the road and that conversation, what he was doing beforehand, that conversation, and all that was going on, and so much so that, you know, he didn't eat or drink for three days. I get it. You know, I get it. I would be quite anxious something like that happened to me, struck blind like that. I, I, I get it. I remember when when they found those tumors in my head, and then I had to go in, you know, and they were doing more imaging and setting things up for radiation and that. I when I called, just when I called to make the appointment, the appointment lady said to me, "Do you need anything for anxiety?" Odd question from the, you know. When I got there, when I got there for my appointment. I checked in. The receptionist, you know, I told her who I am. And she said, okay, check it. Looked at me, said, do you need anything for anxiety? I must have been asked that question five times the first day. You know, my appointment, every single person I went there, you know, because when something, you know, something life-changing like that happens to you, uh, you know, that anxiety, I think this is what's going on with Paul here. And it says for three days he couldn't see and he didn't eat or drink. And I think he is thinking about every little part of this. Trying to adjust to a whole new way of living. He didn't know yet, you know, at this point, as he's being led there, he didn't know yet that this blindness would be temporary. Pick up verse 10. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he said. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he can regain his sight. And I'm guessing he was quite anxious to have that happen. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and the Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And again, just pause there. We're going to pick up with more verses in a minute here. 
I found it very interesting that Ananias knew the voice of the Lord, yet Saul didn't. When the Lord spoke to Saul, he didn't know who it was. When the Ananias, when he spoke, when he spoke to Ananias, he did. Saul had an education that would make other Jews envious. You know, many years, many years later, when he's facing a Jewish mob accusing him of being anti-Jewish, later in the book of Acts, he says, I am a Jewish man, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but you, excuse me, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and educated according to the strict view of our patriarchal law, being zealous for God. And in his letter to the Philippians, as he was writing to the Philippians, part of what he wrote to them is, although I once had confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, that's according to the law, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. So here was a man educated by one of the best rabbis of their time. He's name-dropping when he talks about Gamaliel there in, in, in Acts 22, when he, he says, you know, sitting at the feet, you know, that he was at the feet of Gamaliel, that he was, that Gamaliel, who was widely known, well-known as, as, a, as a great Jewish leader, as a great Jewish theologian, as a great Jewish man of, of the law. And he says, this, you know, this was who I learned from. I was educated by him. He says, you know, he followed all the Jewish laws. He says, you know, as far as the law, blameless. He was born into a prestigious tribe. He says, into the tribe of Benjamin. He was trained as a Pharisee. He was chasing down those Jews who had begun to leave Judaism to follow Jesus. He was meticulous in following every single detail of the law. Yet when confronted by God himself, he says, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And when the Lord calls Ananias, Ananias responds, Here I am, Lord. What a stark contrast. What a huge difference, you know, that you have here. I think the difference is the lens, you know, is from the lens that they lived through. Saul lived through the lens of religion. Ananias lived through the lens of relationship. You wrote those two words down earlier. He, he was living through, it wasn't, just that, it, it, was, it wasn't just that knowledge, it was how they were living life and how they saw life. You see, you know, everyone sees life through a, diff, through, a, through a lens. And what lens are you looking for? Saul was living through the lens of religion, thinking that he was okay. Ananias, on the other hand, had a relationship with Christ and he was living through that relationship. And again, there's a huge difference in how that comes. Because Saul was living you know, through the lens of religion, he was focused on his own way to serve God. You know, and he was focused on his own way to serve God. When God spoke to him to redirect him, Saul was confused. Who are you, Lord? Why? Because he was, he was focused on religion and living through that lens of religion. And here's what he needed to do according to that religion. And he was serving God his own way. And when God talked to him, he was confused. And Ananias, on the other hand, he's living through that lens of relationship. So when God spoke, him, spoke to him to redirect him, when God spoke to him to direct him, he knew, he knew what God wanted. He wanted his attention. Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. 
You know, Ananias heard what God wanted him to do, get up and go find this guy named Saul, lay his hands on him, not to hurt him. <laughs> I want you to put your hands on him, lay, you know, lay your hands on him, not, not to hurt him here, but to pray for Saul to regain his sight. Now, Ananias did what we often do. I mean, you know, he, he did what we often do. He told God some of the details about Saul. You know, perhaps he was unaware of them. So he was, you know, just how we pray sometimes, filling God in on the details. You know, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard from many people about this man. How much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has the authority to come here from the chief priest who will arrest all who call on your name. He was, he was, he was, now when I say this, what I want you to grab a hold of though, you know, is don't be afraid to express your concerns to God. I don't know, you know, we would say, well, we're not trying to fill God in on the details. Well, you know, uh, you know, don't be afraid to express your concerns to God. As we express our concerns to God, really, it helps us to think things through. It helps us to think them through. You know, it helps us. It helps us hear God's answer to our fears. It helps us hear God's answers to our anxiety. It helps us hear God's direction for our life. Now, when Ananias was done expressing his concern to God, he continued to listen to God, and God addressed the concerns. It says, but the Lord said to him, go, this man's my chosen instrument to take the name you know, to kings, Israelites, Gentiles. You know, I'll show you how much he has to suffer for my name. Well, okay, then I'll go. Because let's be honest here. You know, let's be honest. Uh, we often want God to make our enemies suffer. Boy, you read that over and over again in the Psalms, you know, and... Lord, you know, cast their babies against the rocks. What? You know, why would God do it? God didn't do that. You know, the psalmist is expressing his, his anger, if you will, to the Lord. You know, so what we want God to do is come against those who hurt us. We want him to come, you know, against those who hurt those we care about. Now, I'm not saying that this is a good response, you know. Obedience to God is a good response. What I'm saying is don't be afraid to express your concerns to God, but then live in obedience to God. Live in that relationship with God still. Pick up verse 17. We're going to finish this out here. Verse 17. So Ananias left and entered the house. Uh, then he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, I thought that was so interesting. Brother Saul. Not enemy Saul, not, you know, dingbat Saul. Brother Saul, the Lord, uh, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road that you were traveling, has sent me so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell, fell from his eyes. You see, that's how you see this was a miracle of God. That the blindness was a miracle of God. Not simply a reaction to the bright light. It was a miracle of God. Something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. I'm imagining that this was a pretty frightening and difficult thing for Ananias to do. Go to your enemy. Go to that one who is, have, who is here with the authority of the Jewish leaders. Go to that guy. And what I want you to do is get, so, get close enough to him where you can lay your hands on him and pray for him. You know, and and I, then I'm gonna, he's going to get his sight back. Well, what happens when he gets his sight back? Is he going to lash out? You know, and, and it could be, sometimes, you know, sometimes it is hard and sometimes it is frightening to follow Jesus. 
You know, sometimes it's very hard uh, to follow him because it goes against what we want to do. And sometimes it's frightening because, well, you know, you, you want, and for us, the frightening thing is, you want me to talk to my neighbor? Well, yeah. I can talk to my neighbor without any fear of death. Our brothers and sisters in other countries who know Christ, they cannot talk to their, they cannot talk to their neighbor without the realization that it could cost them their life. I feel a little silly then. I'm just telling you personally, I feel a little silly then being afraid to talk to my neighbor about Christ. You know, you know but, but here they are. You know, and, and sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's frightening to follow Jesus. But it's always worth it. It is always worth it. I've told you before, I have never regretted following Jesus. Never. I have never regretted obeying what he asks. Sometimes it's been a challenge. Sometimes it's been hard. Sometimes it's been a little unnerving for me, but I have never regretted obeying what he said. I have never regretted following his word. And again, you know, sometimes I think, you know, it, when I was, you know, when I came to Christ and, and it was interesting because, you know, I, I just met Randy two weeks ago and I was talking to him this morning and uh, where I was from and stuff. And I, I mentioned South Holland. He says, I, you know, he was at the CMA church in South Holland and that's where I came to Christ. You know, I, it was just very interesting to me. But anyway, um, the, but I remember, you know, before I came to Christ, I was thinking, I'm not going to have any friends. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to have any friends. The friends I, the friends that I had, now I, you know, I had some friends there in in the church, but they were weird, you know. <laughs> Meaning they were different than the lifestyle I was used to. Yeah, and so we, you know, we can, we can, it can be. But I have never, I have never regretted following God. I have never regretted giving my life to Him. I have never regretted living for Him. I have never regretted walking in obedience to Him. Sometimes it was a little uncomfortable, but I have never, ever regretted it. You know, it, sometimes it's hard, but it is always worth it. Now, verse 10 tells us that Ananias was a disciple of Christ. A disciple, you know, one who follows, one who learns from Christ Jesus, and one who learns about Christ, one who comes into that relationship with Him. Paul says, I, I, you know, that I, I was at the feet of Gamaliel. Now he was at the feet of Jesus. Learning, you know, and, and drawing from this. A disciple, you know, and, and Ananias' disciple, a disciple is one who follows God even when he would rather not. Even when he would rather not do it. Now, now notice, even though it was hard, even though it was difficult, he pointed Saul to Jesus. He pointed him to Jesus. Clearly, he said, Jesus, the one you encountered on the way here, that Jesus, this is who we're talking about. That one there. And he points him very clearly. He, he's telling his enemy, I guess I would say former enemy. He does address him as brother Saul. You know, but uh, he's telling him about Jesus. You tell people about the important relationships in your life. You, you tell them about that. Uh, you know, 
when I was running, you know, before my hips told me I couldn't, uh, and I ran with I ran with different people from uh, we, we met at the I'm pointing this way because we met at the YWCA, you know, when it was over there on on State Street, and we met there and we would run in the morning, and so you know I. Uh, got to know these people you know you, you train for marathons and you run together for a long time so over a few hours you got to have something to talk about so you know and they would hear about Ginny you know and then you know they and I remember some of them told me you know Ginny came she was at every single marathon I ever ran you know and she was there for all of them and I remember her being at the first one and um, you know when 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 we're there and um, it was before that that she met some of them but uh, um, when we when we ran in um, Fort Wayne, um, it was interesting because uh, one of the one of the girls that I ran with, um, she had just started running with us, and but she was at the race and she was at the finish line and across the finish line and between trying to suck air, I said, "That's Ginny, that's Jennifer," you know, and it was like, well, you know, uh, but because there was a connection there, you see, because. You talk about, you know, Jennifer had heard about Jenny because uh, you talk about those relationships that are important to you. And here what he's doing is he's talking about this relationship that was important to him. He points, he points, he points Saul and told Saul about Jesus. Connects it to that encounter on Damascus. And then it says, then at once something like scales fell from, fell from his eyes, he regained his sight. So he got up and was baptized. Saul moved from religion to relationship. Right here, that's where you see it. He moved from religion to relationship, right there. His entire viewpoint had changed. Now he is, <laughs> baptizing him was giving that identification with that group. It was saying, I am aligned with these people. I am aligned with what they believe. The Jews had baptism, you know, the, uh, someone who would come in, uh, a, a Gentile who would come in, they were baptized, saying, I, you know, I believe... You just see the, the change here from religion to relationship. He's making a public stand that I am now with these people. And you see, what a great, what a great transition here. You know, that entire viewpoint changed. He went from violently opposing God's people to becoming one of God's people. He wrote about this change in, a little bit later in the Philippians, uh, some of the verses following what we looked at earlier. It says, as Paul's writing, he says, But everything that was gained to me, that religion, everything that was gained to me, I have now considered a loss because of Christ, this relationship. You see, more than that, I've also considered everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing, uh, surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In view of this new relationship, he said, I consider it all to be lost. He says, Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them to be filth. Excrement, that's what that word is. Uh, you know, so that I may gain Christ and be found to him not having a righteousness of my own religion, not having a righteousness of my own from the law of religion, but one that is through faith in Christ, that relationship. He says, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him. My goal is a deeper relationship with him. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. He went from wanting to take the lives of those who followed Christ to now be willing to give his life to follow Christ.
he went from that the, 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 the change of religion to relationship, a huge change in his viewpoint, a huge change in his living. You know, as you see people and you talk to people, remember, someone like Saul was not too evil to be saved. Someone like Saul was not too evil to be welcomed into a relationship with Christ. Someone like Saul was not too evil to change his viewpoint. Someone like Saul was not too evil to change the way he views the world. Not too evil to change the way he lives. What a change when we open ourselves up to Christ Jesus. What a change comes about. It brings about a change in and through Saul and Ananias. Remember, we see a point in time. God sees the whole picture. He's still in control, even when it seems out of control to us. Now, don't, don't defend a religion. Live out a relationship. Live through that lens of a relationship, not through the lens of a religion. Express your concerns to God. You know, don't because it's a relationship we have. And sometimes it's hard, even frightening to follow Jesus, but it's always worth it. And what a change when we open ourselves up to God. Stay open to God working in your life. Stay available to God working through your life. What a change when we open ourselves up to Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing me to open my life to you. Thank you for bringing those into my life who showed me and helped me to see you. Thank you for those who weren't stopped because I was a foul person. But they walked in obedience to you and they wanted that relationship with you was so important to them they wanted me to see it too and wanted me to know it thank you for welcoming welcoming me into that relationship help me be a tool in your hand to welcome others into the relationship don't let me fall into religion but to live out that relationship with you for your glory and your honor we pray in christ's name amen